so it's not all doom and gloom, but of course, you know, there, there is pressure, there is inflation, some talk about the debt ceiling. So yeah, it's a confusing situation, I think. I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Danny James, and we're reporters at Retail Dive. This is our podcast where we look into the biggest retail trends shaping the industry. We talk about what traditional retailers are up to, what's happening in the DTC space, and everything in between. Plus, we'll be talking to some industry experts along the way. This is The Backroom. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Backroom. Today, Danny and I are going to talk about the first quarter. Well, the first quarter and the back half of the year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of retailers and brands in the past, I'd say like two weeks or so, have reported their first quarter earnings. And overall, some of them, especially in the D2C space, earnings overall were not looking great. But there are a few outliers. And Daphne certainly knows a lot about some of the larger retailers. So Yeah, so I would say any retailer that has like Walmart, between Walmart and Target, for example, the one who did really well was Walmart because they have, they do a lot of grocery sales and people have to buy groceries. And even Walmart said that people were buying less discretionary stuff and Target is better at this discretionary stuff. So Target, you know, suffered a little bit more in the first quarter. Danny, I don't know what you're seeing in the DTC space. The other thing that seems pretty apparent is that any retailer that caters to the middle income consumer, in other words, you're not offering super deep discounts or you are a luxury retailer that is catering to a customer who has money no matter what the economy does. It seems like the retailers catering to the middle class are the ones that are suffering the most. Are you seeing that in DTC also? Yeah, I would say, especially in that kind of, um, not luxury, but maybe like premium consumer products and some apparel brands. Those are the ones, like you said, in the middle that I think are having more of a struggle, at least in the in the last quarter. Some brands that come to mind in that regard, the like high-end hair care company Olaplex, they sell popularly through D2C, but also through Sephora and some other retailers. They did pretty poorly during the quarter. I think um, their net sales were down 38.9% year over year. So some pretty big losses there. Um, And then Allbirds, which I would say is not a luxury brand, but is more of a premium product, a little higher end on the sneakers and and apparel front. They also have been struggling. Their revenue was down about 13.4% year over year. Allbirds operating loss was slightly better this year and their net loss was slightly better, but they have been doing a lot more promotions, which is abnormal for them, I think, as a result of kind of consumer sentiment and some lingering inventory issues from last year. Purple also saw double-digit revenue declines and they're more of a premium mattress company. I think on the flip side, to your point, we're seeing a couple of more luxury high-end brands really excel despite everything. A really good example of that is the company On. Basically, they make athletic apparel and are well-known for their sneakers. They saw their net sales go up 78.3% year over year. Yeah. Last year, they brought in over a billion dollars. They're a relatively young company, very much one to watch, according to a lot of the analysts. They, I think, have an edge in the sense that they are 
not U.S. based. They sell in the U.S. and and they're of course taking opportunity in the market, but they have a lot of of play internationally, um, including in China and Europe. They're a European based company, and I think that is maybe a benefit right now with some of the lingering macroeconomic issues in the U.S. Another example would be Canada Goose, the luxury outerwear company. They did pretty well, thirty one point four percent increase year over year with their uh fourth quarter revenue, I believe. They're just going into the new year. Canada Goose is a higher-end brand as well. They're also not US-based. They're from Canada. And they knew going into the end of the year that they were going to be seeing softened sales in the US. And I believe they said on their earnings call that they expect some of that to linger for the future. So they're very much focused on other markets as well, such as China and Europe. And I know you mentioned Target and something I thought was interesting in their earnings, maybe you have some more insight on, Daphne, didn't they mention something about shrink potentially impacting them for the year? I know people were talking about that number a lot. This is something that I'm working on right now, actually. It's funny because the shrink is increasingly being mentioned by retailers on their earnings calls, and a a lot of it is attributed to uh, increase in retail theft. Although, according to the National Retail Federation, shrink as a percentage of retail sales has been steady in the past five years or so about 1.4% of sales. So let's put it this way. There is a lot to dig into and figure out here because there are just so many variables around shrink. It's being talked about more and more. It appears to be rising by dollar amount and yet shrink in the industry isn't really changing. So I'm in sort of the early days of trying to figure that out. If anyone who's listening would like to get in touch and help me out with that, there are a lot of really murky details. The number that they floated, however, was pretty impressive. 500 million, they're expected to lose to shrink. 500 million more this year than last. Even what they said was a little bit unclear. So I got in touch with them and they said, yeah, what that means is we expect just over a billion dollars to be lost to shrink in 2023. What exactly? You know, shrink is not just shoplifting and other kinds of retail theft. It's also cargo theft, meaning ships and trains and trucks. It means internal theft. I think a lot of times both internal theft and shoplifting happens more when people are under pressure. You know, we just talked about how lower income groups are really struggling. It's not clear what the shrink is. And even Target, despite the fact that they said that they expect 500 million more, which would equal about a billion for the year, they wouldn't tell me how much profits they lost to shrink last year. It's like a a number they're willing to call out, I guess, as long as it's not definitive you know, once the year ends and and it's something to be quantified, it's no longer something that they want to talk about. I think it's interesting. Just it was a piece of information from their report or earnings call that a lot of folks were talking about online. I think to maybe demonstrate how the consumer outlook or sentiment was looking. But to your point, sounds like it's a very complex data point. For sure. It's definitely complex. And it remains to be seen how much each retailer really understands about shrink is really the difference between the inventory that their books say they have and the inventory they actually have. So where the missing inventory went 
I'm not sure how clear each retailer is on where that missing inventory is and why and how it went missing. And that might be why it's so difficult to get answers to many questions around this. But certainly if in the first quarter, they're already anticipating their shrink for the year to double compared to last year, something's up. It's it's only quarter one. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, Target is a retailer that well, I know they're trying to get better at grocery, so they're not necessarily at Walmart's level in terms of grocery, but they sell everything, discretionary, you know, apparel, etc. And maybe those are the retailers that, that have a bit more to lose when it comes to shrink and general just theft. I think some of these luxury brands, you know, maybe are a little more suited, less retail locations. And, and I have to say, in terms of consumer sentiment, you know, it's not looking great across the board in a way, but um, a few brands have, have remained a little confident in how the U.S. will perform for them this year. On is one of those. I know an analyst who, who sent us commentary from Telsey Advisory Group for On's first quarter, you know, they said positively that On sales remain full price despite a promotionary environment and athletic footwear, particularly in the U.S. So there's certainly people still doing well. Certainly people still selling well. And Canada Goose had also mentioned on their call, their CEO, Danny Reese, said that they're optimistic about the U.S.'s rebound from their Q4 into the next fiscal year. So there's a little bit of hope for a few brands out there. So I've got some broader numbers to kind of back you up. We got a note from EY Americas. They're putting out a recent study that they did. Some weird discrepancies. They found that 84% of people they surveyed believe that they'll be just as well off or better off a year from now, which that sounds pretty good. But 94% are worried about the rising cost of living and the economy. So it's kind of like what's reflected in the retail numbers, the retail numbers for the past three months that we've you know, we track certain the segments that we cover. So we don't track grocery, don't track auto fuel, certain things have stayed pretty robust. And, you know, the economists and analysts we talk to basically attribute that to pretty strong job market, despite everything and wage increases. Despite inflation and a lot of the economic uncertainty, the job market and wages have been kind of better than they have often historically. So I think there's just a little bit of maybe a lot of consumers are hesitant, but things aren't as bad as they could be as far as sentiment. Right. I feel like for the past year or so we've all we've, you know, how many times have we typed out looming yeah. recession or like, you know, macroeconomic challenges? There's always a lot of talk about it, or at least there has been the past year and a half, I feel like, but generally consumers are still spending decently or more than I think some people would expect, especially in important categories like grocery. So it's not all doom and gloom, but of course, you know, there, there is pressure, there is inflation, some talk about the debt ceiling. So yeah, it's a confusing situation, I think. Yeah. The other thing that's been happening to retailers since last summer is that people are, to the extent that they are spending some discretionary dollars, they're spending it on going out to eat and doing fun things. They're not necessarily all that interested in acquiring more stuff that they don't need, you know. But you mentioned the debt ceiling and you found a UBS note. The analysts at UBS were sort of speculating in a 
in a fairly technical note, chances of recession and job losses. And those are two things that, I mean, if discretionary spending is down now, I mean, recessions and job losses obviously are never good for retailers. So to the lawmakers responsible for taking care of the debt ceiling, I think probably retailers by and large would like you to make a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I should say at the time we're recording this, um, New York Times is reporting about some stalls in the talks about this with the White House. So who knows what will happen by the time that this podcast is out in regards to the debt ceiling. But just in terms of discretionary spending, I think a company I'll be looking toward in terms of their their upcoming report is Ulta Beauty. I always find their earnings to be really interesting, especially as it speaks to consumers looking to beauty and skincare and those categories. They've done really well the past several quarters, but it'll be interesting to see if, if anything's changed in their Q1. The sort of state of the consumer and the way it's gone in the first quarter also has been playing out in an interesting way in off-price because I think by and large, we think of off-price retailers, the the big three, you know, the TGX companies, which is TJ Maxx and Marshalls, and then there's Ross and Burlington, and to a lesser extent, Nordstrom Rack, which by the way, is Nordstrom is desperately trying to ramp up the size of their, their off-price business. But it's kind of turning out in this economic climate that there are sort of haves and have-nots among off-pricers. And the TJX companies are finding basically a better off customer is coming to find deals on, they carry a lot of name brands compared to some of the others, and they just cater to a higher income consumer, whereas Ross and Burlington cater to a lower income consumer and who is struggling more. And so they're just not going to have the wherewithal to spend money on new clothes. So even an off price, which sort of benefits in all economies is sort of the wisdom, the conventional wisdom around off price. It's kind of playing out differently for for different off pricers. Nordstrom Rack is still, I think, figuring things out. But I, but I think Macy's backstage is doing fairly well too for them. So, Well, Nordstrom Rack, I feel like to your point, they certainly off price but but yeah like you said they they do have some higher end sort of name brands and definitely not you know my boyfriend said he got like pants for three dollars at ross one time like you're probably not gonna find that at nordstrom rack right no you are not (laughs) yeah i mean to your point daphne about even off price you know the true more so like discount off price retailers are maybe struggling a bit more than some of the higher end off pricers I think even in the D2C space and consumer packaged goods space, we're seeing brands refocus and re, I mean, kind of rebrand themselves as higher end premium companies to attract that type of buyer who is maybe a little less impacted by some of the macroeconomics going on. A couple of examples just from Q1 of that would include the Home care, skincare, beauty company, The Honest Company, that's Jessica Alba's founded brand. They are in the process of, as they put it, aligning their pricing to reflect that it's premium 
which I think some people would argue the pricing is already a little more on the premium side for home and beauty care, but they're going to be, and they have been increasing their pricing. And then on the flip side, we have Purple who make kind of bedding, mattresses and stuff like that. They're a little already on the higher end in terms of comparable to other mattresses, but they've brought out two, I believe, new collections that are specifically premium mattresses, the premium and luxe collections they are literally called. So those add nine new mattresses to their assortment, and they are really going after that higher end consumer, which I just think is interesting for brands that you already kind of associate with being a little more higher end in this space. That is really interesting. And I wonder how well it'll work. It seems like purple maybe could nudge things more upscale that way because they were, I think, already perceived as higher end. Honest Company, I feel like maybe had that sustainable attraction, but not necessarily luxe per se. But EY America in that study also found that 33% of people are willing to try new brands and 36% are willing to switch to private labels. I think that's because of pricing and, you know, to trade down or maybe get better value for their dollar. So it'll be interesting to see what type of brand is able to push things more upscale so they can stay good with the, with the higher spending, higher income customer. I think the interesting thing with The Honest Company is, to your point about them, maybe not being already a high premium product perception-wise, but being the sustainable, you know, they are more expensive than other brands in their space. The interesting thing there is, you know, it's one thing to increase your prices to reflect that you're premium, but does the consumer perceive that product as premium? You know, I wonder if maybe they'll put out new products, new packaging, something like that to also align with that increase in price. Because yeah, yeah, it's one thing to for Purple to put out new products that they are calling premium and priced as such, but to kind of call existing products premium and change the price. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the consumer. That It's a pretty bold move, I don't know, to say, you know what, we're better than what you've been paying for. So you, you actually owe us more money. <laughs> right. And I think I think this is coming off for that for that brand, like off the tail end of maybe doing some more promotions than usual. So it is a little interesting from a consumer point of view to be like, oh, I could get these on a good discount for the last seven months. And now they're X amount, amount higher than they used to be. So it will be weird for a consumer, but maybe they'll put out new stuff. Pricing is a whole nother area. I think it was... Bath and Body Works today was talking about how they are were able to nudge some prices up. And so they were um, marking them with 0.50, you know, they were going from like $1.50 to $1.95. For some companies, depending on what you're selling, just nudging your price up that 40 cents can make a big difference. It's a whole nother art and science of retail. Yeah. Well, you know, in the past year, I've, um, there were a couple of beauty brands that reported on that that increase their prices and, and inform their customers about the reasons for it pretty publicly on Instagram and stuff, giving them a heads up, even doing sales before the price increases happened. I think that was a, that played well with the consumer perspective. And a lot of the reason for that, this was months ago at the time, was mainly due to supply chain reasons and just the increased price of raw materials and ingredients. 
but now it's a little different and, and it's, it's different than saying, oh, our product is just premium and apparently it always has been. This, you know, there's so much of both reality and perception and psychology tied into a lot of these things. Uh, on the one hand, the consumer is willing to trade down. You know, there's sort of like the sense that once prices go up, they don't come down. So if you're saying, you know, sorry, we really had to raise our prices because it's more expensive for us to make our stuff. But there's this sense on the part of the consumer that like, yeah, well, when your raw materials prices go down, are you going to lower your prices? Probably not. But then on the flip side, once a very often, once a consumer switches to a lower priced brand or a private label brand, they don't go back. I know that happened to me in the, during the great recession, things were tight. And I was like, I'm trying this other laundry detergent. It's like way cheaper. And, that's that's the one that I use now because why wouldn't I? I guess my point is some of these decisions by both the brands and the retailer and the consumer can get sticky. You know, in you're you're making these decisions because of a change in the economy or a change in circumstances, but then even when that macro condition changes, that new habit has been set. Right. I think Q1, starting this new fiscal year for most retailers, a lot of them, especially on the D2C side mainly, are trying to find a sweet spot with what type of consumer they want to be going after. And I'm mostly talking about brands that are in that middle ground space, not super luxury, but uh, also not discount cheap off price. I think they're trying to navigate what demographic of customer they're going for going forward. And I think that's a tough balancing act. And we'll just have to see how it plays out and how their strategies play out in the next few quarters. But for some of these brands who are, are sticking to their guns with luxury, and they always have been luxury, you know, it looks like the ball is rolling for them still. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the fiscal year plays out with these different players. Well, it will be interesting and we will be covering it in our Retail Dive Daily and our DTC Daily. Thanks for listening, everybody. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.